Well, my name is Adrian, and I'm one of the pastors here at Carnegie Free. It's great to be with you today. It's not exactly the Easter morning worship service though, that we were hoping for to be gathered together in this place, but at least you get the benefit of coming to Easter church service in your pajamas. We're grateful to be gathered uh, in this time as we are scattered really across Nebraska. People are tuning in, even across a number of different states in America and a number of different countries across our world have been tuning in online at Carnegie Free over these past weeks, and we're grateful that you're with us today, no matter where you are watching from. As we get started today, I've been thinking over these past couple of weeks, what are a couple of bright sides to the social distancing? And so I took a liberty to write down my top five benefits of social distancing, trying to look on the bright side of this kind of dark time. And so uh, here are my top five benefits. Maybe this could be a family activity for you later on today to write down your top five benefits of social distancing. Number five uh, for me is no more awkward handshake hugs. I'm a hugger, and sometimes I'll go in toward another guy, and I think he's a hugger too, and I learn pretty quickly, no, he's a handshaker. And that's an awkward moment. No, I don't have to worry about that at all. We don't hug, we don't handshake, none of that. No more of those awkward moments. All right, now number four, creative cooking is now cleaning out the pantry. Is that happening in your house as well? Man, that spaghetti and Cap'n Crunch goulash the other night was delicious, wasn't it? Mm. All right, number three, benefit number three. With social distancing, I don't even have to know my neighbor's name. Okay, don't do that. Don't do that. We want to get to, our, get to know our neighbors, but there's something about this social distancing. If you don't, it's okay to say, hey, man. It's kind of letting us off the hook from time to time. Number two, I don't have to worry about coffee breath. Six feet away, we don't have to think about that anymore. Six feet away, no coffee breath. And then the number one greatest benefit, at least in our home, to social distancing is when I clean my office, I'm simultaneously cleaning my kids' school and simultaneously cleaning the house. It's like a three-in-one production. What a gift. Okay, maybe that's a stretch, but we're trying to look on the bright side of the time that we're in together. As Jordan noted already, we're in this message series that we've titled Dangerous Prayers, and it's based on this conviction that God really does answer prayers. And sometimes he doesn't answer the prayers just the way we want him to. But God oftentimes answers prayers in order to change us from the inside out. And I tell you what, if there's ever been a time for earth-moving, dangerous prayers, that time is right now, isn't it? What an opportunity will we have right now to grow in our prayers as we come before God and ask him to do what he alone can do. Today's message title is simply this, a humble request richly answered, a humble prayer richly answered by God. As we talk about this prayer, it might be helpful for you to just imagine with me for a moment, if you would be willing to put on your imagination lens for just a moment, just imagine with me that you are a beggar. You don't know where you're going to get your next meal. You have old, betraggled clothes that are ripped up, and you've been sitting on the same corner for quite a while, such that there's even sores that are building up on your body. 
you don't have many friends. In fact, many people find that you're filthy. And you're in this sore, sick, begging, hungry condition in which you know there's only one person that can help, just one physician that can care for you. We don't like to think of ourselves that way, but the Bible says that's actually the natural condition of our souls apart from God. That there's a moral and there's a spiritual need in our souls that makes us like beggars in need of help. You know, it was toward the end of Jesus' earthly life that he met a man who was in that hungry, sore-sick condition recognizing that there is just one who could help him. And this man, when we meet him, he's at the end of his life, and he meets Jesus at the end of Jesus' life. And this was a man who was financially impoverished to, to the point that he had to steal just to buy bread. And he was relationally impoverished to the point that the only people around him on his last day were those who were laughing at him. And in that moment, he encounters this Jesus. And he's actually on one of those crosses next to Jesus at Jesus' crucifixion. And he looks up in a moment toward this one who has called himself the Son of God. And he sees this crown of thorns around his forehead. And he hears Jesus talking to his heavenly Father. And after talking to his heavenly Father, he sees Jesus looking down at these soldiers who are mocking him and even throwing dice, gambling for the tunic that was previously on Jesus' body, and now he's naked and these soldiers are gambling for his clothes. And amidst all of that, this beggar turns toward Jesus and uh, he, he whispers toward him, I, I, I'm guilty. I recognize that I have sinned against God and against man. I'm a criminal, and I'm justly getting what I deserve on this cross. And in that moment, he humbly prays toward Jesus. You'll find it in Luke chapter 23. If you're already in your Bible or if you're using your phone, that's fine. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This is at Mount Calvary called the Place of the Skull or Golgotha. And Luke chapter 23, this beggar turns toward Jesus in verse 42, and he prays this most simple prayer. Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Jesus, would you please just remember me when you come into your kingdom? Now, we're not told why in this moment he put his trust in God. We're not told why that he believed that perhaps Jesus could answer this prayer that Jesus would bring him into heaven from this moment. Perhaps he was in the crowd at some point as Jesus went about teaching and healing and speaking about his claim to be the Son of God. Maybe he was in the crowd on a day when Jesus healed a man with leprosy. And the crowds would all scatter away from this man with leprosy, but there was Jesus running toward the man with leprosy and caring for him in the midst of his infectious disease. Perhaps he saw that. I, I don't know. Maybe he heard Jesus say, I and the Father are one. And then after he heard that, he listened to Jesus' teachings. 
thereafter. Maybe he was in the crowd when Jesus spoke to one man and he gave one of his purposes for, for coming to earth, which was, I have come to seek and to save what was lost. I've come to seek and save anyone that was lost. Maybe this beggar on the cross was there in that moment. We are not told. But for whatever reason, he recognized in this moment that there is a physician of sorts right next to him who is able to heal his unforgiven soul. And so he says, would you remember me, Jesus, when you enter into heaven? Would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Would you remember me after I die? Now, if you know the story, you know that there's also this other thief. And he's on the other adjacent cross next to Jesus, and he strikes a different tone. He turns to Jesus in this moment, and he has different kinds of words for him. Along with the crowds of people that are at this spectator event called a crucifixion that was open to the public and the Roman Empire... And therefore, crowds of people are kind of yelling at Jesus and the other people that are being crucified, yelling insults, and along with the soldiers who are mocking him as they gamble for his clothes, so also this third man, this other thief, uh, he, he hurls insults at Jesus. He's likewise a beggar, but his position toward Jesus is very different. He says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself, and more importantly, save us. Save me. Like, if you're really the Messiah, do something about it for yourself, but more importantly, do something about it for me. Take care of me right now. And you really see quite a juxtaposition from these two beggars, these two thieves on the cross. On one, you see this attitude of, oh, I'm needy. I'm in a humble and desperate position. I realize that I've sinned against God and against man. Would you please help? And would you care for me for eternity? And then you see in the other one, would you get this situation over with? Would you get me down so I can get on to having some fun again? He's more in the place of self-preservation. Take care of me and what I want right now. It's really interesting. You see both of these kinds of people on a regular basis. We see this in our world all the time, don't we? You see these two different kinds of people. This is much like different people that we meet today. One only has a vision for the present moment and for our own physical existence. Maybe this man just wanted to get down and have fun again. Maybe he just wanted to live it up again. And you see people who say, just get me out of this moment so I can go have fun again. I just want to be comfortable again. I just want to have my physical needs cared for once again. And sadly, what we see in this man is what we oftentimes see in people, that physical pain can overwhelm our deeper spiritual and moral needs. The first beggar that we met in this story represent a different kind of people. And they understand that while physical pain and emotional pain is a real deal and it's very serious, they also understand that these short years in these physical bodies cannot be the end. Because our 40 or 50 or our 60 years, whatever they are in these physical bodies, 
uh, physical stuff in our lives cannot provide answers to the deep questions that we all ask from time to time. Like if we're only DNA, if all it is is my physical stuff, then you know, how do you deal with questions like where did we come from? And what is meaning? And what is morality? And what's my purpose? And where am I going after I die? Well, what's my destiny? And these bigger soul-level questions that all of us have from time to time. There's people who recognize that in the midst of their suffering that my body matters greatly to God, my present physical existence and experience, that matters greatly to God, but there's something that matters more. There's a part of me that's going to last forever. And these folks use the present physical and emotional experience of pain to look up and say, uh, God, what's going on long term? Would you care for what's happening spiritually? Would you think of me even for eternity? And friends, this is the very reason that Jesus came to earth in the first place. I mean, this is the basic gospel message that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. That God sees us in our painful conditions and in our failures, whatever they might be, and we all have them, I certainly have plenty. And he says, I'm not willing to leave you in that condition. But yet at the same time, I'm not willing to have you without dealing with that condition. And so I offer my son in his perfection to cover over your moral imperfection in order to bring you to God. And sometimes the experience of pain or suffering can be a doorway of sorts to open us up to the possibility of paradise. I learned from this man on the cross that pain can be like the passageway to paradise. Pain can be the doorway to surfacing once again our spiritual needs, our moral need for deep forgiveness. Pain can be that which strips away some of my self-sufficiency. How about for you? Pain can be that which strips away some of my false sense of being in control, which was totally an illusion before all of this and still is an illusion today, pain can be that which opens the doorway to incredible character growth and ultimately this man on the cross teaches us it can be the doorway to paradise. You see, you see we're, we're all just beggars. All of us just beggars looking for bread. The only difference but between those who have found Christ and those who haven't is that we know where to find that bread. We know where to consistently find that nourishment so we can point other people to find that nourishment as well. We're not better, we're not more special, we're not more holy, none of that by no means. We've simply found bread when we were in a desperate moral and spiritual condition. So this man says, Jesus, would you remember me when you go into your heaven, when you come into your kingdom and Jesus answers him in the most simple and profound way he says truly I tell you verse 43 truly I tell you today you'll be with me in paradise wow truly not like I hope you'll be with me 
maybe you'll be with me. I mean, this is a prayer that you can be confident that God will answer 100% of the time. Jesus, would you remember me in heaven? Truly, he says, I promise you. It's his way of saying, I promise you can count on this. You will be with me in paradise. You will be with me forever. Why does Jesus have such confidence in answering this beggar's prayer in this way? It's because Jesus understands that while it is a really horrible Good Friday for him right now, the most beautiful Easter Sunday is coming, and the grave's going to be empty, and still today it is, and so our confidence in God can be full. Just jam with me on this for a moment. What is the dominant fear that people are feeling right now? If you're like me, it's fear. The dominant uh, feeling that I'm hearing from people again and again as a pastor in this moment, and sometimes I'm feeling myself, the dominant emotion is fear. Sometimes it's fear about health. Sometimes it's fear about the economy. Sometimes it's fear about my bank account. Sometimes it's fear about whether my kids are really going to hurt each other tomorrow. Sometimes it's fear about death. And all of that really matters. But in the midst of our fears, it's then that we remember that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And it's then that we remember what matters not just today, not just tomorrow, but 10 years from tomorrow. And 10 years further down the line, and 10 years far from that, and into eternity. And that emboldens us in a different way. It's the power of the resurrection that Jesus has risen. And he says, because he lives, so also we may really live. He says it so simply, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then Jesus asked this question, do you believe this? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? And if you do, you will live even though you die. Man, that's the most important thing. You get that right, you can make it through so much. You understand that he's the resurrection and the life and that he invites you to the, sun, to the same. Because he lives eternally, so also we will live and flourish in all that is good with God and all that is good eternally. Then you can make it through so much. Like, we can make it through some meals of rice and beans for the next weeks or even months if we have to, if you know that Jesus is the resurrection and life. I've been there, I've done that. I'm sure you have as well. You can make it through a time of deep pain. You've been there and you've done that. You can make it through a time of physical illness. I've been there and I've done that for a long time, just like you have. You can make it through a time where you don't have any sports to watch or to play. That's kind of a new experience for most of us right now, but we're getting through that too, and we will get through that too. You can even make it through your fear of death because you know that he is the resurrection and the life, and because he lives, so also those who put their trust in him shall also live. Friends, there are things to fear that are way worse than death. If you believe the resurrection, you believe that death is merely a passageway to paradise 
and our confidence in that, man, that can overcome our fear of death. Resurrection faith has this way of emboldening us, strengthening us to face our fears and then to keep moving. Like we're all going to have these fears. I do too. But we're able to face our fears and then keep going because of the power of the resurrection, which is true. Maybe you've seen these t-shirts, Faith Over Fear. Have you seen those? Or maybe uh, social media posts, hashtag Faith Over Fear. I'm old enough that I see that hashtag, I still see a number sign. Okay, you've seen those, and I like that. I, I want to live that faith over fear. But the truth is, sometimes, right now, I'm as bold as a lion, and other times these days, I'm more like a scaredy cat. And so while I want to live this idea of faith over fear, I realize that I need something even deeper than that, I recognize that there will be some fears, and as those fears come in, that's when I can reroot myself, reground myself. We can reestablish ourselves in the truth of the resurrection that if you live and believe in Him, though you die, yet you will live eternally. And this is the time that we turn this into a dangerous prayer. You feel your fears coming onto you, and you just pause in the midst of that fear, and you say, God, would you please remind me? that you are present with me right now. I need you. God, would you please remind me that the end of this earthly life is paradise with you and all that is good. And now, Father, I ask that you would give me courage as I move forward. And then, friends, we can continue to move forward and live the Christian life out loud with courage, even in spite of our fears. It doesn't mean, because we have great faith, it doesn't mean that we'll have no fears. It means that we will see our fears as the obstacle that they are, and because of the resurrection, we will overcome them. We will keep moving on in spite of those fears rather than allowing them to hold us back. Because he who lives and believes in me, though he die, yet he will live, Jesus said. Resurrection faith is God's answer to our fear of death. It enables us to face our fears and then keep moving, keep shining. I think about a wonderful man by the name of D.L. Moody, who was a beautiful communicator, one of the greatest communicators in American history. He was a pastor and a teacher, president of the YMCA. But before all of that, D.L. Moody experienced extraordinary pain. He was born into a family of nine children, and when he was young, his father died at a very young age. Because his mom was so poor, she couldn't afford for the kids to go to school. D.L. Moody got four years of education, and then he learned how to work at a young age for his family. They were dirt poor. He grew up out of that, and then later on, he eventually became the president of the YMCA in Chicago and became a pastor, and a very influential pastor. But then 1870 Chicago fires, the Chicago fire came through, and it burned up his church building. And then it came through and it burned his home. And yet D.L. Moody was known for this extraordinary peace and this great confidence and even a higher level of conviction after those fires than before those fires. 
And he was asked, how? How is this that you still have such a warmth coming from you, a shine coming from you, even during such times of suffering and fear? And Moody said this, we are told to let our light shine, and if it does, we won't need to tell anybody it does. Lighthouses don't fire cannons to call attention to their shining. Lighthouses just shine. That's the power of the resurrection. You get that in you, you have a different level of confidence, you have a different level of shine to you. And I am here to tell you that your fears don't need to cripple you today. You can keep shining because of the resurrection hope that we have on Easter. You can keep smiling through your face mask. You can keep exuding warmth to your neighbors, keep shining with the light of Christ in this time. This is a statement of fact that we are still lighthouses in this day. Perhaps right now, more than any time in my life anyway, I see how people around need confidence that comes from the hope of Christ in the resurrection. And we have that hope because the grave remains empty. Man, the best evidence for what happened between Good Friday and Easter Sunday is this. The ruling authorities conspired together to crucify Jesus, and they knew just how to finish a crucifixion. They took him down from the cross, and he was buried in a well-known tomb of a wealthy man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, and he was there for a few days, and inexplicably to everyone, his disciples went to the tomb, and they didn't expect a physically rising Messiah. They go to the, to the tomb to pay their respects to Jesus, and to their surprise, the tomb is empty. All they hoped for was a spiritual Resurrection at this time. All they hoped for, all their hopes at that time, in fact, were dashed. They get to the tomb. The tomb was empty. They don't know what to make of it. And then Jesus appears to them over the course of many days at many times to believers and skeptics alike over the course of 50 days, hundreds of people, and they come to believe, and even most of them, most of the early disciples gave their lives for this belief that he died physically on the cross and he rose physically from the grave and then they died for that truth as well because the grave remains empty. And still it is. And I don't know about you, but anyone who lived the kind of life that Jesus lived, anyone who said that he was God in flesh, and then he backed it all up by offering to pay the penalty of my failures. And then rising from the grave on the third day, just as he promised to do. Anyone who did all of that, I'm going with him. I'm putting my confidence in him. The resurrection gives confidence that whatever we are going through today, our pain is the passageway to something greater, both for this life and for the life that is to come. Uh, friends, as I, as I wrap up this morning, I, I pray that you would have faith to hear what I'm about to say. Because of the grace, please have faith to hear this. Because of the grace of Good Friday 
and Easter Sunday, we get to choose the death we die. Because of the grace of Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we are given the grace to choose the death we die. We're all beggars. We're all needy. We're all dying. And I'm not making light in any way of the situation that we are facing globally right now. I am merely speaking truth that our days are numbered and we know it, and so we ought to number our days. The question is, which of the beggars are we going to be? We're all these beggars. We all come like this before God. And you might say, well, I'm not a robber. I've never robbed anyone, and neither have I. But I bet that if you did an honest inventory of your conscience, you'd see many different ways that you've missed the mark. I looked at my life last week, just thinking through the last seven days. I couldn't believe the number of ways I'd missed the mark in my speech and in my thoughts. So if I've disobeyed my own conscience, let alone the much higher standards of God, would that reveal to me that I have a need? Yeah, we're all these beggars coming to God. The question is, which one? Are we going to be the one who looks out for our own self-preservation, get me out of this discomfort so I can have fun again, take care of me? Or are we going to be the one who looks honestly in the mirror and sees our soul and sees our need and says, God, I need you. Would you please forgive me, Jesus? Would you be my guide? Would you remember me in your kingdom? It's the humblest prayer. So profoundly, so richly answered by Jesus. And I can tell you with a great deal of confidence that his answer for you would be this today. He would smile and he would look into your tear-soaked eyes and he would say, you're mine. I've got this. I've got you. And I'll never let you go. And nothing can ever separate you from the love of Christ as revealed on the cross of Christ. I am with you today. And one day, I will welcome you into my paradise forevermore. Would you pray with me? Oh God, I'm so grateful for this Easter Sunday. It may be cold outside, but it is beautiful in the warmth of the resurrection. So thankful, Lord, that you promised Jesus because you live, so also we may live. That anyone who believes in you, though we die, would live forevermore. I pray for my friends who are watching online right now, no matter where they might be, that you would secure them in the confidence of the resurrection. That Jesus specifically came to earth to die on a cross even for them, and he validates, he proves our belief in him through the cross and through the resurrection by which we have confidence in trusting him both today and forevermore. Thank you, God, for this beautiful prayer. It gives us confidence. Maybe there's some watching today who have never prayed that prayer. God, would you remember me in heaven? 
who have never prayed that prayer, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I've missed the mark. Would you be my Savior? And what better day than Easter Sunday 2020 in the midst of our pain and discomfort to get right with God and to say to God, would you remember me both now and forevermore? I submit my life to you. And you can be sure that God will secure your life in paradise. We're careful, God, to give you all the glory, all the credit. You are a good and loving God, and we praise you for the gift of Easter this morning. In Jesus' holy name, amen.